We are in Psalm 19 this morning. Let's thank God. Dear Lord, we're very grateful for every bit of your word. We'd ask that we would stand in right relation to it. In your son's name, amen. I I prayed what I prayed, that we'd stand in right relation to it, because that's sort of what the sermon's about. Psalm 19, famous early part, the heavens are telling the glory of God, and the firmament proclaims his handiwork. Day to day pours forth speech, and night to night declares knowledge. There is no speech, nor are there words. Their voice is not heard. Yet their voice goes out through all the earth, and their words to the end of the world. In them he has set a tent for the sun, which comes forth like a bridegroom leaving his chamber, and like a strong man runs its course with joy. Its rising is from the end of the heavens, and its circuit to the end of them and there is nothing hid from its heat. It's a wonderful passage quoted in Romans 10, expressing how natural philosophy, natural theology, is present in everyone's existence. I mean, Romans 1 speaks a bit of it. His infinite power and deity are clearly perceived in things that have been made. Um, But in in, in Romans 10, which you have here on the uh, left-hand side, The scripture says, no one who believes in him will be put to shame, for there is no distinction between Jew and Greek. The same Lord is Lord of all and bestows his riches upon all who call upon him. For everyone who calls upon the name of the Lord will be saved. But how are men to call upon him whom they have not believed? And how are they to believe in him of whom they have never heard? And how are they to hear without a preacher? And how can men preach unless they are sent? As it is written, how beautiful are the feet of those who preach good news. But they have not all obeyed the gospel, says, for Isaiah says, Lord, who has believed what he has heard from us. So faith comes from what is heard, and what is heard comes by the preaching of Christ. But I ask, have they not heard? Indeed they have, for, quoting Psalm 19, their voice has gone out to all the earth, and their words to the ends of the world. So St. Paul, when he's arguing for the path and mechanism of the gospel, Let you know that the word preached has a natural response. What you ought to respond in. Those who have not heard, have heard something. They have heard this, the declaring of the glory of God. The God that you must acknowledge exists. You must acknowledge is benevolent. You can see all this in natural theology things that you can perceive from the way things are. But what I wanted to think about is not merely that that is there, that's declared to be there in the scriptures. But Psalm 19 has this interesting quality, this wonderful passage about natural theology. And he doesn't say, you know, as long as you're, you're kind of out on the golf course on a Sunday morning instead of in church, but you say to yourself, you know, I'm, I'm really, this is really worshipful for me. Well, good for you. Because golf courses are like Arcadian, you know, pastures. Uh, you want 
a landscape firm that designs you a golf course in your yard. Not to play golf, but to wander. That's what golf courses, you know, grand little copses of trees, perfect places to walk, little sand tracks. So someone's out there really, really admiring the creation of God. This is good enough, he says to himself. I don't need that wiseacre pastor at all souls telling me where to get off. I have, I have nature. I really feel it. And some people, that's where they, they are and that's where they stand. The writer of Psalm 19, which is David, goes on. He has this great passage about natural theology, which is quoted by the Apostle as a defense for people having heard. Then verse 7 says, The law of the Lord is perfect, reviving the soul. Look what it does next in verses 7, 8, um, and 9. The law of the Lord is perfect. The testimony of the Lord is sure, making wise the simple. The precepts of the Lord are right, rejoicing the heart. The commandment of the Lord is pure, enlightening the eyes. The fear of the Lord is clean, enduring forever. The ordinances of the Lord are true and righteous altogether. He just threw you an option, it seems like, one that actually happens to all of us with our eyes open. We notice... We notice the world around us, and it will lead you, if you're a person who is seeking God, to find him at a certain level. But you cannot deny, the same writer who told you that was readable, was telling you also that the reviving of the soul, the wisdom coming to the simple, the rejoicing of knowing actually, you might say, that with clarity what is going on, knowing a purity, being enlightened, knowing whom to fear, knowing righteousness, all those, you knew you were dealing with that in a God, but you didn't know what you were dealing with that in a God. That the, the written message, the book itself. And so we as Christians go, yeah, we're about, you, you know the phrase, the Bible-believing church, right? People like to hear about, do you have a church that's exegetical? Yes. Expository? Yes. We're going from the scriptures. Let the scriptures set the context. People say, yeah, okay, I get it. You're the right kind of church. Because we have moved on from, you know, general feelings about what the pastor may have noticed at a coffee shop this week and built a sermon out of it without reference to the word of God. Verse 10 says, it's more to be desired are they than gold. The scriptures, the ordinances, the testimonies. We, we could countless illustrations. If you'd heard about a mystery about a, a pirate captain who functioned in your part of the world. Idaho probably is not a place where pirates hung out, but say he was a an Indian chief who had found a great gold, an El Dorado, a gold mine that you'd heard rumors of it, and you'd heard of this, this uh, Indian chief, who was, kind of, was Nez Perce, and he was kind of probably around here, and he may have stockpiled his, 
his bullion someplace near my house. No way to know, but wow, what a great story, what a great impact. And your son comes home from school one day and says, I found in the school library this old book, Father. It's written by that chief you're always talking about with all the gold. And nobody's checked it out since 1870, but, you know, hey, maybe there's something in here. You go, oh my gosh. The book written by the Indian chief who buried all that gold, probably in my yard. You'd be in it. Well, the problem is not that we, okay, we know what this admonition is. Don't be this Aristotelian, I can discover what I need to discover about living from just examining what I notice. You can, you can discover quite a bit. Good, spiritual, correct. When you're given also clarity. The, per, the point of the sermon is that the true path of coming to know is not, is obviously a necessity. But we have varying ways of stopping at varying points. We are happy to stop as Bible-believing expository Christians in the scriptures. You say, uh-oh. Evan just said, the scriptures are not enough. Because when you're a Bible-believing, you know, expositional teacher, everybody goes, you know, give me a verse out of the Bible. It'll prove whether this is right or not. And anybody who says the scriptures, you need more. The path is a necessity, but insufficient. Now, the reason I say that is that uh, John 5, are on the left-hand side, we know from the handling that the natural revelation is good. Natural revelation of God, honoring God, giving him thanks, that's all possible with the natural revelation. Clarity about who he is, the nature of his purposes, the stories of what he has done, comes to us through the scriptures. John 5, but the testimony which I have is greater than that of John. Speaking of, this is Christ speaking, speaking of John the Baptist. For the works which the Father has granted me to accomplish, these very works which I am doing, bear me witness that the Father has sent me. And the Father who sent me has himself borne witness to me, his voice you have never heard, his form you have never seen. And you do not have his word abiding in you, for you do not believe him whom he has sent. Key verse, you search the scriptures because you think that in them you have eternal life, and it is they that bear witness to me. You are not being led from natural theology into being a Bible-believing church. You're being led from being natural having a natural theology of the existence of God, a good and caring God, a just and caring God, to the clarity of what the scriptures say, that pointed you and introduced you to Jesus Christ. They bear witness of something greater. If we think that our, you know, if we develop a bibliolatry, a, a, a worship of, of, you've heard the story back, this is, what year is this? 
2020, we've been a church for about 30 years. Um, maybe three years before, four years before that, I was preaching a message, so being 35 years ago, preaching a message about bibliolatry, and I warned the congregation that I was going to bother some people, and I took my Bible, and I think it was this Bible, might have been a different one, put it on the ground and stood on it. One of the guys later told me he nearly came out of his chair, come up and rough me up, pastor standing on a Bible. People have a real strong feeling. People have a really strong feeling. The Jews had a really strong feeling. They were students of the clarity of their scriptures. And they thought that in them, because they had moved, and just like you have the feeling, you're standing out on a, in a golf course again, and a thunderstorm rolls in, and everybody else runs away, but not you, because you're you know, into this. And the sublimity of it, the lightning flashing across the heavens, and the dark, towering cumulonimbus clouds doing their bit and you're just feeling all religious. It's pretty good. I, I believe in that sort of thing and I believe that the chariots of the heavens are the throne of God. So it's not a, not a far jump for me. But some people find that their relationship to the scriptures are similar to that. They just they have those daily devotion, certain verses they memorize in the King James, because the King James is a little bit more beautiful than a number of other translations. People have a real experience with it. It's a necessary part of your path. The scriptures were given to man. But they're supposed to tell you something, not just how to live, but where to find that next stage in the path. You don't have eternal life in the scriptures. You have eternal life in Jesus Christ. But they that bear witness to him, <coughs> yet you refuse to come to me that you may have life. That was verse 40. People stop. People stop reading what they ought to read. People stop following where this goes next. I, I stumbled across a great, a great quote this morning. I wrote it down on a piece of paper. Like old time, old timey people. It's by a wicked man, Oscar Wilde. But what a writer. He had a way of putting things, and this is a brilliant thing. It is what you read when you don't have to that determines what you will be when you can't help it. It's kind of self-evident, right? What you read when you don't have to determines what you will be when you can't help it. Where you are in this proceeding what you want. Does the person who stands on the golf course in the thunderstorm have enough? I'm done here. There's enough God. I have the sublime sensation. I go on tours and go into cathedrals. And, oh, breathe this air. I feel religious. And that's enough for them. Do they gather together to study the scriptures? 
And that's where we think sometimes as evangelicals, our work here is done. But if people don't know Jesus Christ, and they, in some cases, refuse to go on to Jesus Christ. You say that, you can't imagine that, we're evangelicals. I remember back in my early days as a Christian, a young adult anyway, dealing with a church, it was a Lutheran church that was going through all sorts of problems. They were kicking all the Christians out. Voted the pastor's salary to zero because he kept preaching about being born again. And the Lutherans in that church, their basic position was, Martin Luther never talked about being born again. So, you're out of here. Things that led them on to Jesus, other than the fact that they were wrong. They did not want to go any further than they had gotten. We could be searching the scriptures. We could have you know, various Bible studies, conversations at the big house. A lot of people come over and it's conversations about biblical things. There were men's Bible study on Monday night here in the... In the the cha- chapter house, the shed. People have studied the scriptures. We all have a Bible. It's not denying that we search them. The question is whether, when we don't have to, where do we stop? I'm glad you came to church this morning. Because nothing is quite like Oh, somebody had posted on Facebook about this coronavirus thing about telling their kids that their hopes of going to a particular vacation spot were denied because they were shut down because of the coronavirus. Oh, man, can't go to Disneyland. And then you tell them, and school is canceled for the rest of the year. And then their hearts soar. Cancel, cancel. What's the problem here? Well, I like one, I don't like the other. I can remember being a young person who's a slight tickle in the back of my throat when I was about 13. Dad, I I think I'm coming down with something. It'll probably be better by Monday, but today, Sunday, going to church is sort of out of the question. Because I didn't want to go to church. Where do you go when you don't have to? First, did we even look for God in, in, in the natural uh, testimony? Two, did we go on to the scriptures because we wanted, we wanted to know more about that God. We want the clarity in our minds about the thickness that is physical living. Did we stop there? Did we just become good Pharisees? I mean, we could stockpile Christianity. Pharisees front to back. I mean, those guys, the Sanhedrin, that whole level of Bible knowledge. These are the people that crucified our Lord. They had Bible knowledge out the yin-yang. I heard rumors, I don't know, because I didn't know any of them. Not that old. That some of them knew the Pentateuch backwards. Could recite the five books of Moses backwards. You say, well, I stand corrected. You guys are pretty... You search the scriptures. You think that in them you have eternal life. 
And there are various varieties of that, from a mom putting a verse that claims the salvation of her kids on the fridge with a magnet that's a cross-shaped, because she's a Christian, to the, you know, feisty, theologically um, upsetting person who's really into the scriptures. They think if they get that right, it's there they, they that bear witness to Christ. And they refuse to come to him. Just like the natural theologian who'd refuse to go on to the Bible, not recognizing the God of the scriptures in the golf course. In Christ, we recognize the God of the scriptures. I do not receive glory from men, but I know that you have not the love of God within you. I have come in my Father's name, and you do not receive me. If another comes in his own name, him you will receive. How can you believe who receive glory from one another, and do not seek the glory that comes from the only God? Do not think that I shall accuse you to the Father. It is Moses who accuses you, on whom you set your hope. If you believed Moses, you would believe me, for he wrote of me. But if you do not believe his writings, how will you believe his words? There's a little hint there about the nature of our circumstance when we get caught up in a, the biblical clarification. It's not merely we should go on. It's not merely I have certain things I learned from nature about the God, certain things I learned from scripture about the God, and certain things I learned by having a relationship with Jesus Christ. But they actually do relate to each other. They point to something. You recognize each, each recognizes the other. You would believe, if you believed Moses, you'd believe me. What you have, you know, Sunday to Sunday, it's going to be Bible. Not because I don't believe you shouldn't walk hand in hand with Christ and that we could get sidetracked by it, but it is the clear expression, not of the pastor, but of the apostle or of the prophet. And rightly understood, you might say, with the syntax and you know, grammatical historical method of knowing what's being said, it's going to point at Jesus Christ. So at least someone who holds to the scripture is constantly being pointed, the scriptures are pointing at Christ, and we manage to circumvent because this is not what we want to do with our religious lives is go on to Jesus Christ. I know a number of biblically minded people, philosophically, biblically minded people, who never talk of Jesus Christ. They're Christians. They never talk of Jesus Christ. I don't know, is he embarrassing or something? And it's not like that's the ticket. That's how you prove your end by talking about Jesus. But it would be just like if I care about the brethren, I show up in spite of a virulent plague going through our nation. Here you are, 35 of you, sitting here, breathing the same infected air because we care for the brethren. We know it could be a fake thing, but it also could be a real thing. The real will always have it. The fake won't always have it. We're looking at the scriptures. We're looking at the walk with Jesus Christ. We need to see him. 
Because at the last of Psalm 19, who can discern his errors? Clear thou me from hidden faults. Keep back thy servant also from presumptuous sins. Now, I don't think David was thinking about what I'm thinking about this morning, but this is an element of the presumptuous. I, I just saw vaguely. He does not say, hey, I know you could be a natural theologian, but you know the word of God is more, you know, gives you more. He just has those two paragraphs, basically. Here is natural theology. Here is theology from the word of God. He may have just been holding them both up. I saw them sequentially. I also know that the, the Jews were warned about their bibliolatry not leading them on to Christ. Just like your natural theology, might not, you might not go on to the scriptures, and you, if you were in the scriptures, you might not go on to Christ. Those are presumptions. Those are things that you say, well, I just don't want to do it. I'm just not that into it. I'm just... What have we presumed? Let them not have dominion over me, because that's what happens, is I take my vacation from... I don't have to do that. Remember, Oscar Wilde, who went to jail for being a homosexual, said something brilliant. What you will read when you don't have to is what you will be when you can't help it. We sometimes wonder why the church is so embarrassing sometimes, you know, just how Christians are. I was thinking about this, about how some people fall away from the Lord because they haven't seen Christianity the way it seems like it's described in the scriptures. Not with the miracles and stuff, but just the kind of sanctity you see being walked. We know that the Christian church hasn't done an awful lot for us, but an awful lot of it is because we have presumed we are the caretakers, the keepers of the orthodoxy, and we will fight over our interpretation of the scriptures against their interpretation of the scriptures all day long. And maybe if we knew Jesus Christ, like we were told to know Jesus Christ, and I met the Lutheran who knew Jesus Christ, and the Calvinist who knew Jesus Christ, and the Charismatic who knew Jesus Christ, and, and was thinking of them knowing Jesus Christ, my presumption wouldn't have that much damage. He says at the end, let the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart be acceptable in thy sight, O Lord, my rock and my redeemer. What I would encourage you to do, just as a you know, process of your thinking, is you're picking up you're picking up these revelations of your God. God has told you he reveals himself in nature. Take it, pick it up, understand it, meditate on it, get that great good. Same with the scriptures. Same with your conversion. You were converted by the Lord Jesus Christ. You were not converted by reading the Bible. You were converted by the Lord Jesus Christ. His death, burial, resurrection. And what David says at the end is, let the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart, the way I speak and think, 
I want it to be acceptable to God. So these revelations of himself, all of which are necessary. The path, you could take it along that path, natural revelation, scriptural revelation, the revelation of the Spirit of God and the redemption of Christ. That's a different thing. The anointing you have from God teaches you all things, it says in 1 John. The anointing. If you want your meditations and your words to be acceptable, they have to cluster around all of that. And you know, when you're talking or living with a non-believer, um, they can tell the difference between someone who speaks and meditates on all three of those categories where the revelation of God has been clear. They know what it is. They might even see it as, as you see it in nature. And they respond to the word of God being declared to them. And they respond to someone who was speaking about the Lord Jesus Christ and the forgiveness of sins. If you're just one of them, you're kind of odd. We need to recognize these categories, whether you put them in a, a train of experience or a, the way you can, where I connected them this morning, it's not that important that you see that here at the bottom I have the senses submitting to the obvious of the creation, the mind clarified in the word, and the spirit reborn in the Christ. That's what's going to be the meditation and of your heart and the words of your mouth being made acceptable when you've had those three. Now, this is one of those situations where although there's a lot of scripture, it's only quarter after. So just tell some jokes. Or we can close in prayer. Let's close in prayer. Dear Lord God, we're grateful. You are merciful to us. And how you have given us our senses to see your world. That glory of your power, your godness, your goodness, your reasonableness. And Lord, you sent us your prophets and your apostles. And they told us things we couldn't have known by looking at a tree. And Lord, they said to expect someone that you would send, and that was your son, and we have been saved by his gospel. Lord, keep us those kind of people. Make us more so that we would understand that stopping anywhere along the path, like the Jews, failed to reach the Messiah. They bore witness to your son. We thank you for this morning, Lord. We're very grateful. In your son's name, amen.